this, I think, is another way to think about linear space. Uh, I think we kind of get very used to working in linear space. Uh, the reason I point out advantages of being in linear space is that I've been there a million times and you're trying to get the color space right on something and you can't quite figure out, did I not scale it? Is the CDL that I have for the wrong shot? Do I have the wrong camera lookup? Did they update the firmware on the camera? Do I just have to kind of cowboy it and use some color correction to get there? And you, you walk down this, this thought process of trying to get to the right place because it can be very frustrating if, say, they do give you the wrong CDL or say they don't give you a CDL at all and you don't know that they were using CDLs on set and you're like, why doesn't anything make sense? You start to get frustrated and there's a moment where you're like, all right, well, I just won't work in linear space. I'll just let it be what it is and work in some other space. Whatever the space is, I'm just going to cowboy it together. As long as I invert it on the way out, it'll be okay. That makes sense. It's totally logical, especially at the 11th hour when you're trying to make things work. But it's just, I highly recommend against it. It causes, obviously, lots of problems downstream. And sometimes it's unavoidable. But just thinking about what the effect of not working in linear space is can kind of help you in that debugging process. Like, for instance, considering what other stuff you're trying to add to your shot. If it's coming from CG, for instance, CG can be rendered linear or sRGB or whatever, depending on your rendering package. But it's probably fairly trivial to get it to be linear. But if you're not even in linear, that trivialness of that transformation completely goes away. All of a sudden, now you have the problem of not being in linear space, and the problem of everything else can't get to this unnamed space that you're in. So you can't enjoy joining pieces together, which is a big part of visual effects, obviously. The display device thing is like the same, same argument. You're sitting there, you're in a tight spot, you don't know how to linearize something, you don't know how to make it look right on your monitor. Well, it's not going to look right if you can't get to linear space no matter what. Uh, this is a thing that also I, I've seen many times is that you can't quite get it to be in linear space. You can't quite figure out what it is. And in Nuke, you start playing with the, the viewer lookup. You turn off sRGB, you turn it on, you put it on Rec. 709, even though you know that you're on a computer monitor, right? So you know it has to be sRGB. But in that moment of desperation, you start turning on and off your display LUT, thinking that it's going to solve the problem. It's not. You're on an sRGB monitor. You have to have it in sRGB mode. It's just this is a fact. You know what I mean? It might make the pain a little less, but still, you're kind of getting off track if you start thinking along those lines. And most importantly, going all the way back to the beginning, we think in linear space. We think more less of this color and, and more again. And somehow abstractly, that amount is the same. But if you're working in a log space versus a linear space, that amount is not the same. You're, you're, you're using the tool in a strange way, and you're not going to get quite the results you want. So you, just knowing that you're thinking this way is really, you know, hopefully is, it's probably not inspiring at the 11th hour when you can't quite figure out the color, but it at least kind of promises what you get when you get there. This is another interesting one I've found. This happens a lot, for instance. You work in Photoshop, and you have some nice, some nice anti-aliased edge and then you pull it into Nuke, and Nuke misinterprets the footage as sRGB or Rec. 709 or something else. All of a sudden, your anti-aliased edges 
are going to fail. Or even worse, if you're comps in log space and you bring in something with an alpha channel or something with a long motion blur on it, all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know how clear it is, but you see how much, how much harder this anti-aliasing is than this. And it's just it's like especially bad with like fonts and type and motion graphics stuff. It's like all of a sudden, like, why? why? This looks so good in Photoshop, and now it just looks awful. It's because you're not matching your color space. They haven't changed this. But at least they give you the option for, oh, this is another interesting point. This setup expects any LUTs you use to anticipate linear space. Very important. And you'll notice that in Nuke, if you use the uh, OCIO version of LUTs, it doesn't give you the option to change color space. You have to manually do it. Whereas the uh, apply vector field in Nuke gives you the option to specify an incoming color space and an outgoing color space, which, which is them giving like a little wink and a nod to the fact that that this setup is strictly in linear space and LUTs are not. You might have a concatenation that says this LUT expects sRGB in and it puts out Cineon out and it does something with it in between. And so hopefully you know what that is, but if it's concatenated, it's kind of a guessing game. So this is our setup, which has taken a while to come up with, but it's better. Just trust me. It's basically an expansion of the previous of this previous screen. This, this automatic setup that Nuke offers is exactly right here, but it just splits out things that can be canceled or not used or skipped or manually adjusted or loaded from an external file or call up the DIT and say, well, you know, approximately what IRE was that at for that shot? And go in and, and for instance, tweak some of the gamma on your CDL. And this setup is exactly the same as our reference setup, our desired setup that, unfortunately, I should put on the next slide, but is 20 slides back. And again, just pointing out, because if you're setting this up manually, it's real easy to copy this and paste it here. That's like totally logical thing to do. But just don't forget that Every single bit of this has to be inverted in order and in processing direction. So color space nodes, you need to flip the in and out. Both grade and OCIO CDL transform have a reverse button, right? This is interesting, though, scaling. I always use a grade because a grade has a reverse button on it. But going back to what are our magic numbers, right? We know that legal space to extended space has this much of an offset. And fortunately, in Nuke, you can just type that right into the field. You can say 16 divided by 255. You don't have to remember 0.06214 blah, blah, blah. You just type that right in there, and you know logically that that's what's going on. And if you come back to it six months later, you can say, what is this weird decimal? Oh, wait, OK, that's 16 divided by, you know what I mean? And so it's like a little reminder for yourself, which is really helpful. So. I'm just pointing this out. I hope it's obvious. But when you use a read node and a write node, you set one to Cineon, you set the other one to Cineon, you just remember that one is forward and one is backwards. But they're both called Cineon. So it's like a little silent thing that's happening inside of Nuke that, once again, you don't want to fight the automatic things in Nuke necessarily, but you need to be aware that something automatic is happening. Because this, this setup says raw in, raw out. 
But it's not actually raw because it's now you know, inverse Alexa, for instance, if that's what we're using. So even though Nuke says it's raw, we just, we're aware that we're kind of not necessarily breaking Nuke. We're just not accepting its automatic features. And this is a good one. This is something that we've also spent a lot of time on. Probably the one time in uh, when using Nuke that you don't want to completely unwrap your ingoing transforms is when you're going to QuickTime. So we're reading it whatever. We're basically recreating this same. We're basically recreating this same pathway in, except we're going out to QuickTime instead of unwrapping completely. So I just point this out in that, uh, especially in terms of scaling, which again is our like kind of phantom element. A lot of times, depending on the codec you use down here, it applies scaling. So if you apply scaling here, a lot of times this codec. Now all of a sudden you have double scaling, which is you know, a really frustrating, hard thing to debug. Because if you read it in later, you've got to do a double extend. And like, who would think of that you know, when you're trying to debug this kind of thing? So I just point this out. Again, like the display LUTs, because everything is kind of, at least within the terms of getting things to a monitor, it's fairly well standardized. And it's rare that you would choose something other than one of these two for your actual QuickTime. Even though Nuke gives you 50 different options, you probably want one of these two, just in, when you're in your detective moment trying to figure out what to do. Hopefully this seems obvious. This is when, this is when like, you're at the 10th hour right now and you're waiting for the 11th hour, right? Things are milky, contrasty, overexposed. Blacks aren't rich and dark. I've seen it a million times. I've done it myself where you're like, man, the DP was just asleep this day. This footage is totally overexposed. It's like, probably he wasn't. Probably it's a problem on our side that we're not linearizing properly. And then you come to the next step, which is, well, I'll just pull out a grade node, and I'll just grade it down and make it work for my purposes. It's like, you can. Just don't forget to apply the inverse grade at the bottom. And even still, a lot of times, if you're really far off on legal on uh, linearizing your footage, you'll sit there for half an hour with a grade node trying to figure out how to get it to not be these things. So I'm pointing this out just to say, and there's a link at the end of this presentation. You can download it and have it as a PDF. Think about the steps involved with getting into linear space and getting back out. And when you really think about it and you're like, you know what? I'll bet this is extended going to legal. And that's what the CDL. And you start to think, OK, because it's. I, I've been so frustrated, and almost always I get back to these steps, and I'm like, ah, oh, that makes so much sense. But you've wasted a whole bunch of time going off in this direction or trying to cowboy it in with, I call it cowboying in, when you just pull out a grade node and start grading away and trying to just kind of jerk it into range so you can move on to the next thing. So these are hopefully interesting tidbits that I came along while putting this together that kind of didn't fit into my main kind of thesis, but hopefully are interesting. Or we can skip, uh, no, we're going to do this. Or what, how much time do we have? Are we good for time? It's 8.42. Uh, so, um, OK, well, you guys will download this, and you'll have all this to read later. It's about 10 pages of little, little bits and little interesting things. Uh, there's one thing here. 
this guy. I don't know if you guys have ever been on the Alexa site and tried to figure this out. Okay. So based on everything we've said, all those steps are right here. So once again, this kind of validates the model that says, what's our gamma curve? Is it legal or extended? Right? And then on top of that, this is, this is basically saying, well, depending on which camera, there may be a different flavor of gamma. And here we're saying, okay, once again, is it legal or extended? And what, you know, so stepping through this, hopefully are far more equipped to like answer all these questions. And again, like if you've been to the site, at the top up here, they have tabs that kind of force you into these automatic presets. And a lot of times it's, they're not quite right. And if you go into the advanced settings, this is what you'll get. And you should be able to find your way through it. It took me a long time. I mean, maybe it'll take, you know, hopefully it'll take you guys less time when you get to that place. So we're going to just barely touch on this for a second because this is like a massive topic. But it answers to basically everything that leads up to this thing. It's called ACES. It's a new standard that's coming out, maybe, hopefully. And it comes back to our good buddy storage by doing 16-bit linear half float as a standard. So theoretically, theoretically, either the metadata is embedded in the file or it's linear data in the file so that we don't have to deal with color issues. It remains to be seen if this is actually going to come to fruition. But it's interesting to think about. So. Didn't they try to give us, they wanted to give a workshop, contact the VES like a year and a half ago? Mm-hmm. They were Sandy. Mm-hmm. So, just stepping through, you know, kind of in the same spot where, you know, film negative, uh, where are we at? Right, original scene, capture device, encoding, which is, this is kind of our camera LUT, although it's our more generalized version for ACEs, and then all the way to reproduction of various types. So it's, this is kind of an extension of the same model I've been presenting, although you know, this is attempting to be a standard. So. so cool. And if you guys take a picture of that or go to that URL, then you can download this and have it and hopefully send me love mail or hate mail if you want and definitely not hate mail let's give chris a round of applause <laughs> um, so i'm just i'm just gonna help here with q a because i definitely want to get some q a um because uh i think i mean if you were like me there were some good aha moments in that for sure and uh uh, I want to see if we could just have a little bit of a discussion based on that. We have a little bit of time left over, so let's let's hear some of the discussion or questions for Chris. Maybe case study questions. Like I have a friend who, yeah. right? I just one uh, worked on a film last year where the client constantly was changing their CDLs mm -hmm. and sequences, and going through your workflow that displayed. The color would constantly be changing on the middle if we were going in inversing. Yes, uh, and you're reminding me that they had one more. Oh, I'm going to write that down or something. There is another. Sorry. Yeah, like any. There's another framework that is commonly used. See, the the big question. 
The big question is whether you need to scale or not, or whether it's in the CDL, right? Because if the scaling is happening in the CDL, then you'll want to actually kind of open the CDL, probably remove all saturation from the sliders. Yeah. So effectively turning it into a luminance CDL and not a color shifting CDL. And use that to get through the scaling part, comp flat, and then you do you know, a viewer process or an IP, right? Which unfortunately at that point from linear space, because their CDL is expecting scaled or not scaled, you've got to invert the scaling and apply the CDL in the viewer, which forces you to use a group because you can't use more than one node as an IP. And that's a very good point, and that should be included in this because that's, that's a problem when clients frequently change CDLs or when the CDL is used more creatively than it is technically, which happens frequently. What else? I have a question for you guys then, if you guys aren't going to ask questions. Um, what would you guys say is the most complex part of dealing with production when it comes down to the VFX side of deliveries? What is the most consistent, frustrating thing that happens in those turnovers? Yeah. Not getting the inverted left so that you can give them back the original unfucked with. So they're not providing an inverse. They're just providing original negative, and that's it. And, and a forward transform. And a forward, forward transform, but not a reverse transform. Yeah, we'll get a forward left. Right. You have to give it okay. back. That's good to know. What else? What else is really... That's sick. The yeah. most annoying thing is the DI house will do the dailies. It hits our editorial and then how they import it into our Avid or Final Cut mm. steps on it. And then that's what we have the reference to, which doesn't match the dailies. Right. Which, that, but that's what the director or showrunner, whoever right. is working on it, is going to approve everything. So yeah. we need to create our own kind of LUTs when we deliver our quick time for them for reviews. But see that right the there. Long, which matches. That's an excellent, excellent example of, of what I'm talking about. Here, where sometimes it's not your footage that's milky, sometimes it's the reference dailies that are milky. Right. I think it's what he's and, saying. And, and, and a lot of times thinking, once again, just thinking along this kind of debugging and forensic pathway, like for instance, depending on the flavor of Avid you have, and depending on the settings when you import, it might be that you're already giving it legal or extended. The file itself is legal or extended, and then Avid's interpreting that yet again as legal or extended. So just thinking along that, that forensic line, sometimes you need to do a double, a double scale or a double extend, I guess, if you want to think of it that way, in order to get a one-to-one -one match between the two. But rarely is it, rarely is it right to just pull out a grade node and start going. It's, it's in my experience, it's better to think along these forensic pathways and think there's there's only this number of options. It's one of these things, and maybe doubling one or something like that. But just. That's good enough. What else? What else is like a normal stumbling block that maybe Chris uncovered or is something, you know, just in, in the ideology of working with BES and doing this stuff, you kind of got to know what are the major pitfalls so you know what to address. So if we do this again, let's address a couple of these things, you know? Right. Well, something that bothers me, for instance, is that uh, 
is red footage, or especially in as far as how Nuke handles it, because it, it attempts to be over-automatic about it, right? It tries to read the metadata, apply it, and then you hit auto-apply again, and the settings change, which right there, you're like, well, if I hit it again, is it going to change again? I don't know. It's like kind of mysterious, right? But then Nuke itself doesn't offer an inverse of red. It offers red space and red log, but I chose red gamma 3, right? So I don't know which way am I going. So that, that's something that, that's always bothered me and has always been in question where, you know, we as a company want to kind of professionally join the rest of post-production. We don't want to be the guy where the colors is like, oh, this is another visual effect shot and I got to get the color into the, you know, we don't want to be the, the element that's sticking out from the show. Yeah, and the, the challenge with red, I mean, the reason, it's funny, because when people point out red as a, as a problem, it's because it's the only camera that actually works with raw, at raw composition. Even though other cameras say raw, they really don't have true raw composition in terms of dynamics. Mm -hmm. And because red is the oddball with that, it is sort of like, with great responsibility comes, you know, great power is great responsibility. It has a lot of power, but that power is often uh, a problem. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Nuke's interpretation of that. You also, someone else also mentioned Abbott. I, I, I think, I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of um, uh, turnovers and what is happening between what a, what the set sees and what editors see, and then a director automatically starts to fall in love with the editor's cut, and that isn't what the director's cut, and then you're making VFX that match maybe the set, because you have the data values to do that, and then they say that's wrong. So what you're saying is, now you have to create a look that is wrong to normalize it correctly, right? Sure. And that is a news. And then, What's that? Just for the reviews. Just for reviews, right. Yeah. So um, one thing I learned in going through this with visual effects that actually I actually learned uh, about a year ago, not that recent, pretty fairly recently, that Avid actually has a full range and legal button, but it only affects outputs. It does not affect viewing. So the engine is not built with an accurate transform for legal, scaled or unscaled, in the app, only if you export. So the problem is, assistant errors might touch that button, and they don't know if it's enabled or disabled, because there's no change in the GUI or the mm -hmm. output. It's only in renders. And so that's creating what is often coming out in references is really dark pictures. And the edit and the assistants, they don't even, I don't know if they care, they don't realize, or they don't know. and. Um, now you actually have a false positive in terms of a reference movie. So that gets really troubling. And I actually emailed Abbott and said, do you guys realize you have a, an engine that is sort of totally unreliable because it, you actually are scaling something, but you can't visually see that until you do an export. Most of those exports are sort of like crummy compressed references. So um, that's one of those pitfalls uh, that now you could actually, if you come across this again, you can talk back to the assistant and say, hey, I, I, do you know if you, can you check this preference? And are you in legal or are you in extended? Because that's going to affect your outputs. Because if any assistant editor does any output and it doesn't match what was in their GUI, then you got to stop. You know, mm -hmm. they got to stop right there. They usually don't do that because no one, there's no police. Sometimes I realize we have to be the police. Yeah. Not because we're upset or angry, we're just trying to maintain consistency. So I think that's a real good point. Any other questions for Chris? Chris, what's the protocol now for getting access to the information that you just blew our minds with? Uh, well, this this URL yeah. will give you a downloadable PDF. And the whole that, thing? Yes. Great. 
And then obviously doing, you know, following the link inside of the, the QC code does the same thing. So, um, so, you know, please email, ask questions. Like this is, I just, I'm passionate about figuring this out because I've seen it a million times where a show comes in with a peculiarity and all of a sudden, instead of it being a peculiarity, it's 300 shots of peculiarity. And no one quite knows the answer because the post producer wants you to talk to him about all matters of post. But he may or may not really know or not even know who to ask or whatever. So it, it just becomes less technical and sometimes political and sometimes whatever when really, if you just think down the right path, a lot of, like most of these things are solvable. They're totally logical. Usually some very professional person chose the things they chose for a reason, but you just may not get access to that person. So, you know, from a, from a debugging standpoint, it's, it's helpful to think along this path and just, just analyze it and, and kind of puzzle it over and, and, and you will achieve success that way. Um, but again, I've only realized that scaling has been such a, such a kind of specter in our system, uh, you know, only a few months ago. And before that, you know, then it was CDLs. And then before that, oh, Nuke only supports Alexa V2 or V3. So you have to manually add. So it's like, it's all a discovery process and we're all kind of going through it together. So I don't want it to feel like this is the definitive final document. I'd love to have a conversation with anybody. And if we learn something, it's going to be in version, you know, three of this document. So this is a, hopefully a living thing that, that grows as the industry changes and as we discover new things. Well, let's give Chris one more round of applause.